You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. We are delighted today on Preaching Source to have, uh, well, first of all, an old friend and uh, a well-known Southern Baptist leader, Dr. Chuck Kelly. He's the current president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. He's twice a graduate of uh, New Orleans with a Master of Divinity and Doctor of Theology and a former professor of evangelism, and, and we want to tap into some of that expertise today. So, uh, Dr. Kelly, welcome to Preaching Source. Thank you, Barry. Delighted to be here. Uh, New Orleans Seminary recently launched the Aaron Rodgers Center for Expository Preaching, uh, why is your seminary committed to biblical exposition, and how does that benefit the kingdom of God? Well, I think the ministry of Adrian Rogers shows why. This was one of our greatest pastors. He built a great church. Every church he served during his ministry grew in size and strength under his leadership, and his signature pastorate at Bellevue was just monumental. It feeds people. And we know in New Orleans, when you offer good food on the table, people keep coming back, and it becomes the subject of their conversation, and they get to feeling very passionate about it. And that's what Adrian Rogers did. He fed people the Word of God, and the more he fed them, the more they kept coming back to learn more and more, and it became a passion of their life to dive deeper into the Word themselves, and that's what church is all about. So we think expository preaching is necessary for a pastor to truly feed his congregation to make the things of God not simply something they know, but a part of their conversation and something that is a part of their life. Hmm. Now, you've mentioned uh, Dr. Rogers' legacy in, in terms of building great congregations. What Expand on that a bit. What, what do you think Adrian Rogers' you know, legacy for Southern Baptist is? Well, first of all, it was the, the faithful preaching of the Word. This was the centerpiece of his ministry. He put uh, a great deal of time into the preparation of his sermons, and he delivered them so very well. He preached through the Bible systematically, but he was also very evangelistic uh, in his preaching. He was a great illustration of what I call decisional preaching. Matter of fact, when I taught a course in evangelistic preaching, I had uh, three videos that I would use to show students how to give an invitation, and his was one of them. And it was just, just another Sunday. It was not a special Sunday. It was not evangelistic emphasis. It was just another Sunday. But the way he gave the invitation in explaining clearly what people ought to do, in telling people what was going to happen, in having uh, counselors ready to talk with them, he just did it masterfully. And so he was very evangelistic, and he was not simply focused on preaching. He was also focused on reaching the people in the community who were not sitting in church, who needed to be outreach. So his church always had evangelistic outreach. They were always seeking to bring new people in and people who did not know Christ, and then discipleship. And again, with a strong Sunday school ministry, uh, Bible study ministry, and Bible study groups. You just have that total process of exposing people to the Word of God, taking the Word of God to people who are not there, and as they come to Christ, discipling them, growing them in their faith and in their likeness to Christ and how they lived. Mm. Chuck, I have often heard you say that if Jesus is in your heart, he's going to come out of your mouth. Talk to us a bit about the importance of 
of personal evangelism in, in the life of the church, the life of the kingdom, the life of a believer. It's the key to health. I don't know a better living illustration than the land of Israel where you have two great bodies of water. You have the, the Sea of Galilee and you have the Dead Sea. Both of those bodies of water are fed by the same river, the River Jordan. And it flows into the Sea of Galilee and it flows out. And the Sea of Galilee has a little higher salt content than many places, but it's teeming with life. And people have been fishing for a living for hundreds and hundreds of years, all the way back before the time of Christ. You go down further, same river, goes into the Dead Sea, and it is, as it said, it is completely devoid of life. That water flows in, it does not flow out. And you simply cannot be a healthy Christian by keeping everything you learn about Jesus inside you. God never intended that to be. So evangelism is really a key to spiritual health. And it is sharing with people what we know about Jesus that takes us ever further in our own growth. In our own growth. Everyone who has ever taught anything is usually surprised when they learn very quickly. When you teach something, you learn more than the student learns. The preparation for teaching, the act of explaining things to people teaches you more than the student picks up. That is why a Christian grows more when they are sharing with others what they learned and interpreting what they have learned to other people. It keeps you growing spiritually. So this is the marvelous economy of God. How do you grow the church? Well, you bring spiritual maturity to believers who witness to people who never heard about Christ. So you're constantly pushing the gospel out and bringing new people in, but you're also uplifting, nurturing, and growing the spiritual maturity of the believer. Mm. All right, if a pastor who's really paying attention to the important things, I mean, obviously, uh, good biblical exposition, that's something that a, a thoughtful pastor will think, well, that's important, I need to make sure I get that done. Personal evangelism, I need to get that done. Is, is there a connection or a correlation between uh, the time and attention that a pastor gives to biblical exposition and that he gives to personal evangelism. Is there a relationship there? Well, let's take George W. Truett, since we're here in the DFW area. George Truett would say when he got stuck uh, in his sermon preparation and was just not making progress on a sermon, he would go out and visit people uh, and share Christ with them because that would, again, loosen that flow of God's Spirit in your life. And so it is so important. It keeps us connected with the people who don't know what we're talking about. It keeps us applying and illustrating the gospel for other people. And it, it simply is, is not possible to stay fresh without engaging a different audience. And if you're always with people who always agree with you, you are never going to go as far in your growth and development as when you are having to explain the gospel to people who don't agree with you, when you are watching the Bible literally change people's lives. And you see that in evangelism like you don't see it from behind a pulpit in a church. You are able to see up front, close and personal, the effect of the Bible on people's lives and you just find God speaking in some wonderful, wonderful way. So I, I just don't think it's possible to be as healthy, as strong a preacher as you could be 
if you are not engaged in evangelism and sharing your faith. Hmm. Chuck, you you and I are uh, at a mature enough season of life that we we remember back to the people who educated and and uh, nurtured and mentored us that we we used to hear the old timers use words like uh, personal work and personal evangelism and soul winning uh, terms that you you don't often hear. Uh, today. Uh, in 1993, you wrote a, a fascinating book, How Did They Do It? The Story of Southern Baptist Evangelism. Can, can you talk a bit about what what was it when, when Southern Baptists enjoyed their greatest seasons of, of evangelism and baptisms and growth? And, and so how, how did they do it? What, what, uh, give us a little encapsulation of of uh, what you taught us in your book. Well, as simply as I could say, and, and this was a revelation to me, I started out writing a history of Southern Baptist evangelism, and I learned things about uh, how our denomination developed its focus on evangelism, where that came from. Uh, I realized that there were four basic methodologies of evangelism that you would find in nearly every Southern Baptist church for many, many years. And I'll never forget, I had just finished the section of the book about the four basic methodologies of evangelism found in nearly every Southern Baptist church. And I leaned back in my chair as I finished that section. I was looking out a skylight I had in my study when suddenly it clicked. The genius of Southern Baptist evangelism was not those four methodologies. The genius of Southern Baptist evangelism was the interaction of those methodologies with each other. It was like gears on a wheel. A wheel has power, but gears multiply the power of the wheel. And so Southern Baptists practiced decisional preaching, and that is simply proclaiming the gospel of Christ and calling people to an immediate and public response. But Southern Baptists realized that everybody who needed the gospel was not in church. And matter of fact, no Southern Baptist church has ever been built to handle the capacity of the number of lost people in the community if they were to all come to Christ. Most people who need Jesus are not in anybody's church. So therefore, we have to go outside the church to them, and that led Southern Baptists into personal evangelism and spreading the seeds of the gospel throughout the community. As you share the gospel with people, most people do not respond immediately to the gospel. Some do the first time they hear it. Many don't. Most don't. So Southern Baptists knew it's good to share the gospel, but you've got to cultivate people and help them better understand the gospel along the way. And so they developed Sunday school, weekly Bible study, uh, in order to cultivate people and teach them more and more about the gospel until they came to Christ. And they did two things in Sunday school, teach people the Bible and build relationships. So it was a relational evangelism strategy. We taught the Bible and we ate donuts. We taught the Bible and we had dinner on the grounds. We taught the Bible and we went out for ice cream. We taught the Bible and somebody went to the hospital. You visited them. You took food to their house. We ministered to people. And the goal was to get lost people engaged in Sunday school. So the typical Sunday school Bible study class was expected to have lost people in that class. And people who came to Sunday school had that opportunity to, A, learn more and more of the Bible and its applications, and B, remove the misunderstandings of the faith 
to them because they got to know Christians. They became friends with people who were Christians, and it lowered their resistance to the gospel. And at a due time, a harvest comes. Revivals. Southern Baptists would have once or twice a year a special series of meetings designed to introduce people to Christ. Many Southern Baptist churches for a long time would have 60-70% of their conversions during that time of revival when the whole focal point of the church was put on this simple question. What is the status of your relationship with God? If you're a Christian, are you walking with Him daily, living for Him daily? If you're not a Christian, why not now give your life to Christ? And it dawned on me, it's a farm. That's what it is. It is a farm. Climate, decisional preaching, reminding everybody evangelism is important. Planting seed, personal evangelism. You have to put seed in ground if you're going to have a crop. Cultivation, it's not enough to put seed in the ground. A farmer knows the hard part of farming is the cultivation after you plant the seed and then harvest in due time. And Southern Baptists built a farm in every church. And this strategy for evangelism and the interaction of these four methodologies was found in nearly every Southern Baptist church, healthy churches, fighting churches, churches without a pastor, churches with a pastor. Every kind of church had those four elements, and it was a paradigm for evangelism that was enormously productive for us. Hmm. Uh, Chuck, it's been a quarter century uh, since you uh, wrote that book. What, uh, what would you change about it if you were rewriting it for uh, 2018? Well, I've just finished a rewrite, actually, of it that will be released in June uh, under the title Fuel the Fire. Uh, the thing that has happened, Barry, is a a breakdown of that process. And I would say the at, at every level, uh, we are watching a generation uh, of emerging preachers who are not really interested in decisional preaching, and they're not creating an atmosphere that is prioritized evangelism in the church. So every week, people are being reminded people aren't right with God because they're here. They're not right with God because they're in your family. We have to tell people the gospel, share the gospel. Hardly any church now has an organized process of personal evangelism. How are we systematically going to get the gospel out to the people in our community? And many churches don't even asking that question anymore. And so that planting process is breaking down. And guess what? You can never have a bigger crop than the amount of seed that you plant. And if you stop planting the gospel in the lives of people, you are reducing the potential size of your harvest. And then that cultivation uh, process uh, is just simply not as strong now. And it's unusual to have, in many churches, it's unusual to have a lost person in a Sunday school class. Everybody assumes everybody there is a member of the church uh, and is right with God. And so the revival strategy is sort of pointless. What do you need to harvest if you don't have any fruit to harvest? And so we're in a, an evangelistic decline that we have never seen in our history, and, uh, and I've charted it out, and you can go all the way back. We, we think the statistics are fairly reliable all the way back to 1881, and from 1881 until today, you can see it. There has never been a decline in evangelism such as we are having right now. Uh, Chuck, you, you've written uh, quite a bit about that decline, and you, you documented this in, in several articles. I, let me put the simplest and probably most important question to you. How, how do Southern Baptists reverse that trend? 
Well, I think it starts with discipleship, oddly enough. And this was one thing that I never paid much attention to. I've studied evangelism my whole adult life, and I don't know why. I'm embarrassed about it. Uh, but it was not until Katrina completely interrupted my normal ongoing studies of evangelism, and I had to put my whole life into helping our seminary through that catastrophic event, that about uh, two or three years went by without me doing any further research at all when I was asked to do an address for the Home Mission Board on the state of evangelism in the SBC, and I had to jump back into my studies. And with fresh eyes, after a break, I saw two things. A, we were in serious decline, and B, discipleship was gone in a systematic, visionary process in Southern Baptist life. And here's the problem. Every process of evangelism in the history of the church, from the days of the New Testament until the 21st century, every process of evangelism has shared one simple assumption, and that assumption is the life of someone in Christ is different than the life of someone outside of Christ. And when that difference breaks down, and the world around us sees no difference in the life of a believer, why should they give Jesus attention? And you see, going to church, that doesn't matter because people aren't in church. So our lost neighbors, they're not there, and they don't even think about that. So if that's the key difference, that you go to church on Sunday morning, okay, you go to church, I play golf. Okay, what's, the, what's the deal? You have your way, I have my way. It is when people engage with Christians and they see fundamental differences that Christ makes in your life that evangelism takes place. And the decline of evangelism is linked to a serious decline in discipleship. And I did not really notice the fact that during our most fruitful years in evangelism, Southern Baptists were known for a very aggressive approach to evangelism. But we had a far more aggressive approach to discipleship than we did to evangelism. It was just out of the spotlight. Hmm. Um, what, what is evangelistic discipleship? That's, that's a fascinating term, and you know a little something about that. But what, what is evangelistic discipleship? Yeah, I like to use the word. Uh, now, discipleism uh, is, is, uh, is becoming one of my favorite words. And that is where you, you don't make a choice. Uh, Yogi Berra had so many wonderful, crazy statements, and one of them was, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. And it sounds ridiculous, but if you know where he grew up, he lived on a street that you had a fork in the road, and the right fork and the left fork, it was a circle. And if you, it didn't matter which direction you took, you would get to his house. Well, there are people who want to choose between emphasizing evangelism reaching people for Christ, and discipleship growing spiritually. If you make a choice, you're going to ignore or diminish your attention on the other. And the key Southern Baptist founders don't make that choice. Do both of them simultaneously so that you are emphasizing both sharing the gospel with others and growing people in the likeness of Christ. And doing both of those things simultaneously is the key to profound, dramatic spiritual growth and growth in membership. Mm. Uh, Chuck, you, uh, in addition to being a 
seminary president and a professor of evangelism. You're a preacher yourself, and most of our listeners are preachers. Uh, they're all interested in preaching. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your personal sermon process? How do you go about building a, a sermon? I'd be happy to. Now, mine is kind of uh, not very useful for pastors because my preaching ministry is very different than that of a pastor. A pastor is preaching every week to the same people. Me, I'm in a different place every week as an evangelist uh, and itinerant preacher. I'm often asked to address, I'll have people who say, would you please come and preach this sermon that I heard you do, or would you address this topic? But I'm happy to share how I prepare. Uh, it starts with the Bible. Uh, it occasionally will start with an assignment, and I, I get assignments on what people want me to do. And so sometimes I'll start with, okay, I have to talk about this. Where does the Bible address that? But it most often starts with Scripture and the study of Scripture. And for me, the Bible gives the shape of a sermon. And the Bible gives the shape of different sermons, even from the same passage. And as I study Scripture, the Bible tells me what that sermon needs to look like. For instance, I was doing some study in the life of David and reading through all the Scripture in First and Second Samuel and the, the life of David. Wonderful, fascinating study. And it just became very clear and obvious to me that the, the sermon from all, I mean, how many sermons could you preach on the life of David? God gave me one. It was a biographical sermon, a dramatic monologue of David sharing his testimony, and it went around one phrase, I am who I never dreamed I would be. And I realized as I was wrestling with the scripture that this was David's story. David's testimony would be, I am who I never dreamed I would be, a shepherd boy who became a king. I am who I never dreamed I would be, a righteous man who became a sinner. I am who I never dreamed I would be, a sinner that God forgave and redeemed. And there in one 25-minute sermon was First and Second Samuel in one package. I don't do a lot of dramatic monologues, but that one leaped off the pages into me from my scripture. So it starts with the Bible. Meditation is very important for me. And as I meditate on scripture, uh, that message of this particular passage begins to emerge for me at this particular time. I've done many different sermons from the same passage. I've done different sermons from different passages. And then I have a congregation as a an outline begins to come together as I see the lesson that God wants me to impart from that passage. I have a congregation in my mind that is composed of people that I know, different people, uh, people who are very educated, people who are not, children, uh, adults, people who are widely read, and people who just don't pick up books at all. And as that sermon comes together, I run it by that congregation and that sermon is not ready to preach until everybody in that congregation tells me they understand what I'm going to say and they are interested in what I'm going to say. And so scripture, study, and reading, meditation, the outline will emerge out of that, then that congregation out there. Now, along through all of that, I read all the time. And I read all sorts of stuff. My wife says if anybody ever looks on my Kindle or uh, looks at what I read, they will think I'm schizophrenic because I read all the time. And so 
illustrations for me come from the reading that I do of, of all sorts and from life experiences, and those illustrations come as I see what truths God gives me for a message. So that in a nutshell, I, I don't teach my students how to prepare like I prepare, but this is what I do, and it works for me. Our guest on Preaching Source today has been Dr. Chuck Kelly, president of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, your your book, the rewrite of your book, uh, How Did They Do It? The Story of Southern Baptist Evangelism. You said that it's coming out in June. In June at uh, the SBC. Uh, at the SBC. In Dallas. Right under in Dallas. a new tattle, uh, title, Fuel the Fire. And if you've not read the original, uh, you'll want uh, to get this copy of the new rewrite and if you've read the original I, i'm going to get a copy of the the new one myself because i want to see what you've updated and 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 freshened there uh, chuck thank you so much for what you do in southern baptist life and thank you for being with us on preaching source honor and a joy dr mccarty thanks for having me